This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back, everyone, to Brown's Film Breakdown. This is now episode two. I'm your host, Jake Burns, writer for the OBR, Cleveland.com. Just want to take a second here before we dive into the podcast to give a shout out to the Chase Down Podcast, another Blue Wire podcast out there for Cavs fans. If you do enjoy what we're doing here on Brownstone Breakdown, you also enjoy the NBA, jump over, give Justin, give Carter a listen. They're two of the best right now covering the Cavs and they're worth your time. Also, if you guys haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Brownstone Breakdown. Also, leave a review if you can. Five stars are appreciated. But if you're a person of honesty, I appreciate that too. Anybody who's listening, just understand that I appreciate you taking some time for me out of your busy schedule, focusing on the Browns, and taking in the suffering on a week-to-week basis. So without further ado, let's jump in and recap what happened on Sunday in Cleveland. We saw a group that I would consider the best skill position offensive group in the NFL in Kansas City arrive in Cleveland and do exactly what we thought they were going to do. The group is led by... Uh, young gunslinger Patrick Mahomes, who is probably the future of the NFL. We we really need to spend some time talking about how good he is, uh, pinpoint ball placement, the ability to work on the run, the, the ability to work off of multiple bases. He can do it all. He's really what you want the modern football quarterback to be with his legs, with his accuracy, arm strength, efficiency, uh, cerebral approach. He was on full display Sunday. He was 23 of 32, 375, three touchdowns, did throw that late first half interception that just kind of goes in the stat book but didn't really mean anything. So uh, Mahomes was special. If you got a chance to catch him live, you're seeing one of the best play in the game right now. Uh, when you look at other factors for the Chiefs, Kareem Hunt, both phases of the football game affected things. He ran for 91 yards and two touchdowns, had one catch, 50 yards and a touchdown on a long screen pass there for the first score of the game for the Chiefs. It just really never felt like the Browns had the ability to get off the field, even as the Chiefs uh, you know, were in the midst of some, some sticky situations, some third and 20s, so on. The Browns' defense never really threatened them. The Chiefs had this sort of calm approach that, that that you could just feel their confidence, even if situations would arise that they put themselves behind the sticks. The Browns' defense never had a feel for what was coming, and even when, you know, like I said, the situations were advantageous for the Browns, they 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 couldn't get the Chiefs off the field when they needed to. I believe the Chiefs only punted one time. And uh, it, it reflected in the control and the pace of the entire game. You know, the Browns are hurt by injuries. Denzel Ward left with another hip flexor issue early in the game. EJ Gaines left after that screen pass uh, touchdown to Kareem Hunt on the first Chiefs drive. He left with his second concussion in his, I believe, the last two weeks now. So, you know, that's going to be a problem going forward. That left the Browns shorthanded out at corner. Denzel Rice forced into playing a lot of snaps. TJ Carey bumped outside. Brian Body Calhoun played quite a few snaps. And when you look at, you know, the Browns as a whole, missing Joe Schobert, Christian Kirksey also gets hurt in this game. The defense, even when it's playing with peak health, is not going to be a defense that can that can keep Kansas City's best unit to 
um, you know, a manageable game. It would take it would take a perfect game plan, perfect execution. So when you take into factor all of the guys getting hurt, you you can obviously see why that would manifest itself in the Chiefs being able to put up 499 yards of total offense, really control the clock. Although the Browns ended up edging them out in time of possession, the Chiefs did whatever they wanted to do throughout the game. They did even have 11 penalties the Chiefs were able to overcome, 11 penalties for 86 yards. So some encouraging things for the Browns' defense. Tanner Vallejo subbed in. Christian Kirksey went down hurt. I thought he played hard. Has a really nice approach at linebacker. Missed some tackles, missed some things here and there, but he plays hard. And that's important because there are times when this Browns' defense looks like they're just disinterested spearheaded by veteran linebacker Jamie Collins who if you study tape close enough you're going to see several occasions throughout a game where it just doesn't look like he's playing as hard as he needs to play now that could be due to just his style the way he carries himself sort of that lackadaisical approach it doesn't mean a guy's not playing his hardest he mentally might think he is but the film is showing us something different and that's rearing itself week to week same can be said for Larry Ogunjobi Miles Garrett who I think are guys that are just at this point wearing down physically they're playing so many snaps they've played four overtime games which nearly equates to an extra game on the schedule this will be their ninth game straight nine weeks you include that what could be considered a 10th week with all of those overtime quarters. And you just have a group defensively that's been on the field a lot in a lot of high leverage situations early in the year. And they're just, they're worn down. So, you know, the bye week can't come soon enough for this defense. It is going to be paramount that they get healthy, get some guys back. It looks like Denzel Ward is probable for this weekend. They need him. Without him, the Browns are facing one of the better wide receiver tandems in the league right now between Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. You mix in Muhammad Sanu, and it's a dangerous situation coming into First Energy Stadium this Sunday. Offensive side of the football, some signs of encouragement. Obviously, Duke Johnson was a highlighted part of the offense, nine catches, nine targets. Um which is, is you know, the, the catch rate is, is 100%, which is what we want to see, getting him involved. He only had one carry for eight yards, but when you get Duke Johnson as involved as he was in the passing game, you don't necessarily need to run him constantly. So uh, mid-80s total yardage, two touchdowns. The two touchdowns were a single-game high for him. Two receiving are a single-game high for him, and he really pushed his career highs in receptions and targets too, which is, which is good to see because it's first year – First time calling plays in an NFL game that matters. Freddie Kitchens did a really nice job. Some things I thought would carry over from his performance week four when Todd Haley allowed him to call plays. Some boot action we saw from him. We saw a lot of tight bunch formations, a lot of rubs, a lot of quick screens, running back screens, stuff to get the ball out of Baker Mayfield's hands fast. And that's pretty important for the young quarterback. I think when Mayfield gets rid of the football quickly early in games, it gives him a chance to establish the rhythm that he needs, the feel for the game that he needs. It just changes who he is as a quarterback, and I think that Kitchens did a really nice job of that for him. Mayfield on the day finished up uh, 29-42, 297 yards, did throw two touchdowns, did have an ugly interception there at the end of the game and, and sort of garbage time where he threw back into the uh, crosshairs of the defense trying to find Seth the valve and it got intercepted really needs to learn from that mistake that he can't leave those balls back over the middle without spotting what's out in front of in front of coverage you know every quarterback who's played at any level has made that sort of goofy throw every now and again so you hope Mayfield turns on the film and sees that notices it and, and, and can rectify it but I thought for the most part Mayfield played pretty well missed some shots he could have completed uh, missed a corner route to Njoku I thought he could have taken care of. A couple balls that were dropped. Uh, you know, the Browns still are atop the league and drop passes. But overall, a lot to feel encouraged about with Baker Mayfield. It's, uh, one of his better output games, higher completion percentage, rated out at a 95. Pro Football Focus didn't give him as high a grade as they normally do. 
I'm not sure I necessarily agree with it. I thought he played pretty well. He seemed to have more responsibility at the line of scrimmage. So uh, that, that, that to me, it means something. It means that there's trust there. There were interviews this week. Uh, Kitchen's bringing Mayfield in and talking to him, and Greg Williams made note of this too. What do you what do you feel comfortable doing as an offensive coordinator? You know, I used to coach at a smaller level, obviously, in just high school. But I would talk to my quarterbacks about what do you feel good about? Well, we practice this week. How do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? If you look at the game plan based on what you see on film, what do you feel most comfortable running? Those questions, I'm sure, happen with Todd Haley, but they're also questions that I think maybe didn't get emphasized as much as Greg Williams and Freddie Kitchens tried to do because I think the Browns offense as a whole look much more comfortable than they have in the last few weeks, really much more comfortable than I've seen them since early in Baker Mayfield's first few starts, and that's positive to see. It doesn't miss me that the fact that the Kansas City Chiefs are one of the worst-rated defenses in the league, but that's not the big picture here. The big picture is always going to be how well Baker Mayfield can continue to progress toward the end of his rookie season. There are going to be coaches galore who are interested in this job due to this rookie quarterback, and the Browns have to be hoping that this current group between Greg Williams and Freddie Kitchens and Kim Zampezi, who are responsible for his progress, just continue to keep him moving in a linear direction, the type of direction that's going to mean positive things heading into his sophomore season and positive things into an offseason that's going to be important for the Browns as a franchise. Other players worth considering, left tackle starter was Greg Robinson, did a nice job subbing in for Desmond Harrison and really provided an upgrade that Baker Mayfield needed. And you heard in post-game quotes when Baker Mayfield mentioned being impressed by Robinson, there's no denying that he felt more comfortable with Robinson protecting his, what is his is normally his blind side. That's sort of a fallacy with quarterbacks. Their blind sides to the left if they're right-handed. While in reality, a quarterback's blind side is it's the opposite of where he's not looking at any given moment on a play. So I thought Robinson did a nice job. Some mental mistakes here and there. Sort of suffered in run game on occasion. But for the most part in pass, bro, he did a really nice job, and that's something that the Browns can feel really good about moving forward. Nick Chubb obviously did a really nice job carrying the football, led the Browns 22 carries, 85 yards, also scored a touchdown. He's just a really good football player. That patience, balance, vision, speed, burst, he has it all. As the Browns get to the point where they're playing out in front of people, he's just going to be a really big factor. And I look forward to seeing him for the rest of his uh, foreseeable prime playing in Cleveland. David Njoku had a nice game as well. Four catches, 53 yards. I think he's coming along nicely. I think he had an opportunity for a couple more big plays that Mayfield missed him on, but I feel good about Njoku. Obviously, he missed that block on a key third down where Mayfield's unprotected off of his blind side as both Robinson and Njoku sort of stared at each other. There's no doubt that that was Njoku's responsibility as the safety came off the edge, but that just brings me to the point I keep continually talking about with Njoku. Why is he in responsible blocking as a as a pass protector when you have a guy who's one of your better playmakers in the pass game sitting inside blocking doing something he's not great at that's something the Browns have to address and I thought they did as the game wore on to an extent get him out by chipping have him help in pass protection chipping a defensive end then releasing if you're concerned about edge edge pressure and I thought you know, anytime you leave your quarterback's responsibility in terms of, of, of pass protection in the hands of a tight end who doesn't do well in that side of the of the position, you're 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 making an unnecessary risk. But overall, thought Njoku played better, and he actually graded out as one of his better games. So, you know, it's 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 a game of silver linings. It's a game of moral victories. The Browns look better offensively. I think that is going to be really important for the rest of their seasons. How well this offense comes together, even with you know a limited wide receiver group. Is, is can they produce enough points for you to feel good about this group going into 2019? They're going to add pieces, obviously, but the continuancy of, of Baker Mayfield's progression, how this group of skill position players that have a shot to be here in the long term, Landry, Njoku, uh, the likes of 
Antonio Callaway, Richard Higgins, those guys are who you want to see Baker Mayfield progress with because they're going to be a part of things in the future. So some pretty good things offensively. You know, you're able to put up uh, 388 total yards. You only turn the ball over one time. Like, like I said, it's it's Kansas City's not a game many Browns fans should have been expecting to win. Atlanta will be a different sort of uh, entity. They have a they have a shot in this game. They're going to have to be able to score points based on how beat up their defense is. But you know, to play Kansas City, who's a real Super Bowl contender, uh, has a real shot to, to to lay claim to being one of the best team, if not the best team in the NFL right now. The Browns at least kept it respectable, and that and that does mean something, especially in the tumultuous week that we saw in Cleveland over the last week. You know, with the firing of Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley and all that's shaken down. Uh, from the top of, of of the organization in Berea, it's never easy. It's never easy on a team as young as the Browns have, and it's never easy to to shift coaches and shift philosophies in the middle of the season. And the Browns are going to have to try to find a way to weather that storm, get through Atlanta, and then spend the bye week trying to figure out how they write this ship as best they can moving forward. How they win a couple games in those remaining six, because the NFL schedule never stops. So, you know, no one's going to feel sorry for what's going on in Cleveland. No one's going to feel sorry for this roster. So you just got to pick your head up, keep moving forward. And with that note, we'll jump over to an Atlanta preview here. But before we do that, I want to give you guys a quick note about what's coming up with MyBookie. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, there's no reason to not be using MyBookie for all your gambling needs. You're somebody who likes parlays, pick three teams to win, hit all three, you could turn $100 into $600. So much to bet on right now, guys. College football going on, college basketball jumping into action, the NBA's in full swing, the NFL's rocking and rolling right now. So many opportunities to turn some money into your pocket just by going on to mybookie.com and getting into the action. MyBookie is the one bet you'll be happy on this year. I recommend these guys because I know and really trust them. MyBookie has been in business for years. They've got great online reviews. Their mobile site is easy to use. And what more can can you ask for sign up this week and my bucky will give you a 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart your bankroll it's a great way to bank even more money with you when you win also make sure to follow at bet my on twitter they've personally responded to several of my dms and they'll respond to every mention and dm you send to them as well not to mention they've given away more than ten thousand dollars in free money to their followers just in this football season you'll be the first to know as soon as odds and props are posted so don't miss out guys this is a great opportunity as some of the best opportunities to bet are happening just this week. So again, guys, log into MyBookie right now. Use a promo code BLUEWIRE. Get that 50% deposit bonus. Again, that's the promo code BLUEWIRE to give you that 50% deposit bonus. You play, you win, you get paid. That's MyBookie. Okay, guys, uh, lucky enough to be joined here by Charles McDonald. Charles is the senior NFL news desk writer of SB Nation. Um, has also done uh, plenty of background work on the Falcons in his time leading up to his his opportunity to take over as the senior uh, desk writer there at SB Nation. So I wanted to bring in Charles, talk Falcons. Charles, how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me on. Uh, excited to talk about the Falcons and the Browns, the two hottest teams in the NFL right now. <laughs> I think one of those is right. One of those is right for sure. So, let, <laughs> yeah, let's dive in, man. So, so you know, how I always start these is is from somebody who's in the trenches with, you know, paying attention to a team they care about a lot and cover. It's just sort of the state of the team. Falcons started out 1-4. and four. Uh, Some people tried to write them off. Too much talent there. Too many veterans. Uh, too much leadership, in my opinion. So, you know, what's uh, what's been the pendulum that swung the, the, the to the three straight wins of late? Uh, you know, I, I think the offense is is re- really starting to play well, and even their losses, they were they were playing pretty well too. Like, if you go back and look at the game against the Eagles, the uh, the Saints, and the Bengals, like those are losses that were all decided 
on literally the last play of the game. Like the Saints game went to overtime. Uh, the Eagles game, they lost in the goal line. And then the Bengals game, they lost on like the last play of the game too. So, you know, you kind of get what, into those games where you're literally just a play away from a win or a loss. And uh, those were unfortunately unlucky games for the Falcons, but they've kind of got back on track over the past month or so. I, I think the defense is, has stepped up a little bit, especially in the way of the game turnovers. I mean, uh, DeMonte KZ has two interceptions of the last three games. Uh, they've got some, like their their playmaking on defense has improved, especially now that they've cut down on Duke rally snaps at linebackers. So, you know, you kind of seeing what the story has been with the Quinn regime over the past few years where the defense starts out kind of crappy and they struggle at the gate. But every year around this time, they seem to start piecing together. And I don't really know if that's a testament to the coaching or some of the talent that they have, but uh, the offense playing well, much better than they did last year. The defense kind of getting it together over the past month, I think, has propelled them on this winning streak. Yeah, absolutely. Because the, the, the beginning of the year, like you talked about, that schedule, Philly, Carolina, New Orleans, as you know, down there in the NFC South. Um, and then you run into two teams that we uh, obviously play quite often, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, who are putting together good seasons. And then the last three have been a little bit on the downside of things. Tampa Bay struggling. Uh, New York is obviously playing some of the worst football in the NFL. And then, you know, a, a good win against a Washington team that's sort of on the up and up. So schedule side does help. Uh, Cleveland is certainly um, on the opposite end of that pendulum. They're they're running into a myriad of issues, as you know. If anybody pays attention to the news, <laughs> they're, they're running through who's leading this team, who's leading this organization type stuff. So it's a really good time for Atlanta to catch Cleveland, honestly. And, and Cleveland's beat up defensively. they got a lot of issues going on. Denzel Ward, we're uncertain if he's playing you know, and, and, and uh, EJ Gaines. The secondary is rough. So that brings me to my next point as you talk about secondary. Matt Ryan, obviously one of the league's premier quarterbacks, uh, age 33 season here, completing 70% of his passes, nearly 2,700 yards, 19 touchdowns, only three interceptions. Talk to me a little bit about, uh, obviously, just a couple years now removed from the MVP season. Uh, peak, peak Matt Ryan, is that what we're still seeing? Yeah. I mean, even last year, even though the, the stats didn't back it up, like if you look back at – what he was doing with uh, a first-year offensive coordinator in, in the CSR team, like the the passes he was throwing were still on point. The offense was just, as a whole, was pretty disorganized. I think that kind of capped their like explosive ability for the year. But what's kind of funny about this year is if you look at, I mean, and I know passing's up all over the league uh, right now. Just like we're grabbing a historically good passing year for the NFL. But even if you just look at what he's projected to do. His stats are on pace to be better than what he did when he was the MVP. He's going to throw for 38 touchdowns and six interceptions if he can keep this pace in his first 5,000-yard season of his career. So, yeah, he's playing amazing football right now. And it's just kind of cool to see him get back to where he was two years ago because a lot of people were saying, oh, you know, Kyle Shanahan is the reason that he did that or the reason he did this. And, oh, you know, he goes to Steve Sarkeesian and he sucks now. But now in year two with Sark, they're playing pretty well together. I think the addition of Calvin Ridley has helped a lot too in terms of opening up that passing game. And it's just kind of fun to see Atlanta get back to the explosive offense that everyone who follows the league knows they can be. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's certainly names that a lot of Browns fans will know. Obviously, there's the connection between the Browns giving up their uh, early first-round pick <laughs> for Julio Jones. And then, you know, the last year, uh, Calvin Ridley, as you talked about there just a second ago, was a name that Browns fans had their eye on because wide receiver has just been something that – 
they do, you know, we can't figure out around here. So how, how's Calvin playing his, his rookie season? I know he's come on of late, but just kind of touch on how they've incorporated him, how they're using him, what his skill set is doing in the NFL. Oh, it's, it's been a lot of fun to watch, really. I mean, pretty much everything that you saw on tape at Alabama is what he's kind of turned into as a pro, where you look at the speed, the route running abilities, it's really like a perfect option next to Julio Jones and Muhammad Sanu, where really he's seen pretty much almost exclusive double, I mean, uh, single coverage with, you know, Julio Jones taking up space and Muhammad Sanu taking space uh, in the middle of the field. And uh, I, I think if you just go back and watch, uh, there was a there was a double move he had against Drake Kirkpatrick in the Bengals game earlier this year where he literally left Kirkpatrick on the ground after he broke his ankle so bad. He caught him for a touchdown. And even on plays where he's not getting the ball, you still see him to do that to cornerbacks all over the field. So uh, it, it's just really fun to watch him. Uh, I can't really remember the last time the Falcons just had a rookie come in and be this polished from day one and, and be an immediate impact player. But you see the groove he's starting to get into with Matt Ryan. I think he leads all rookie receivers and receiving touchdowns. So, uh, it's been a blast watching him, and I, I just can't wait to see what's to come for him. And, you know, I, I know this is supposed to be kind of a pro Browns podcast, but looking at the, the injuries that they have on cornerback, I'm, I'm hoping that he can break loose for one this weekend. Yeah, there's no doubt that that's going to be advantageous for Atlanta. You know, even Demarius Randall, who's turned into a pretty solid free safety for Cleveland since moving back there, is he was a scratch last week, and, and like I said earlier, EJ Gaines, you know, was morphed into their second corner, is struggling too. So from Atlanta's perspective, game planning, you're, you're spot on. They're, they're certainly going to be best served to push the ball downfield. And that kind of pushes me toward run defense, which is where Cleveland is struggling of late, really poor stopping the run, actually one of the league's worst in stopping the run, which is sort of surprising given how strong they were last year under Greg Williams. But talk running game. I know everybody's – heartbreaking fantasy star Devontae Freeman is is out with a groin injury it's Tevin Coleman's show you know the offensive line is led by two of pro football focus as better graded players for your Falcons there Jake Matthews and our old friend Alex Mack what's going on in the run game oh well like you said you know Jake Matthews and Alex Mack are are having great seasons but uh, some of the other guys have been shaky I would have to say uh and I think that, that that's a bigger influence on the run game not getting going than Devontae Freeman getting out. Because, you know, last week against Washington, we saw Brian Strader had his best game of the season by far. Alex Mack and Dick Matthews did what they do. And Wes Schweitzer, the left guard, had a good game. And you saw it like they were able to bulldoze Washington on the ground and Tevin Coleman was able, able to make big plays. And the thing with Coleman is he's not a great creator of his own. But if he can just get a crease and get onto open space, no, like there are only a handful of guys that can really catch him once he starts moving down the field and making those plays. So, uh, you got to hope if if you're a Falcons fan that that, that can happen this week too against uh, a pretty weak Browns run defense. But you know that Washington game kind of feels like an aberration game with how poorly the Falcons off the line has played as a whole and really how much they've struggled to run the ball as a whole. So. Uh, it's just going to be kind of interesting to, to see if they can kind of keep that momentum going into next week and continue to run the football well, because I know that that's something that Dan Quinn and Steve Sarkeesian always wants to do. Uh, but like I said, it hasn't really been there for them all season until last week, so we're just going to have to see what happens because that was kind of an outlier performance for them as far as the season goes. Yeah, yeah, that'll be 
you know, I think if you're also game planning, I mean, Atlanta's going to be in their offensive team meetings just kind of foaming at the mouth about what they can do and the state of the Browns' defense, especially now that Christian Kirksey, one of our linebackers, is dinged up. Joe Schobert is obviously out as well. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it's not it's not a good situation in Cleveland defensively. You hope that they can figure something out, but really a bad time for us to be playing Atlanta. So nice nice point by you. Uh, you know, touching on both the passing game, running game. Those are those are going to be just just a problem for Cleveland. How they figure out a way to keep Atlanta off the field. They couldn't keep Kansas City off the field. I know that's sort of a different beast offensively right now. But yeah, yeah. I mean, how Cleveland can keep Atlanta under thirty points will be interesting. So uh, we'll shift. We'll shift over to defense. It's it's uh, it's it's a group that's beat up. I, I you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I know they lost Deion Jones. I think they lost Keanu Neal, and then I could be missing Ricardo Allen out as well. Who, who's who's been yep. dinged up defensively? Uh, so in the first game of the season, they lost uh, Keanu Neal for the season with a torn ACL, and Deion Jones had a foot injury and. He's, he, he's on an IR eligible to return. He's not going to be back this week for the Browns, but maybe in the week after or hopefully by Thanksgiving for the Saints game, he'll be back. Uh, and they lost Ricardo Allen in the second game of the, in the year. And they've had guys like Tack McKinley and Grady Jarrett bangs up in and out of the lineup. Robert Alford missed last week against the uh, against Washington. So, you know, they've been pretty banged up on defense, and it, I think that that's played a big role in their defense not performing the way that a lot of people thought it could, especially with the way that they, they shut down the Rams' offense in the playoffs and played well against Philly, too. People kind of thought that this was an ascending defense, but those injuries have taken some of the shine off of it. Uh, but the, the the biggest issue with the Falcons was I, I think they kind of overestimated the depth that they had behind those guys. Like, Keanu Neal is a Pro Bowl caliber safety, Deion Jones is a Pro Bowl caliber linebacker, and then you drop to guys who probably should, you know, be close to the practice squad guys and guys that are playing 80, 90% of the snaps each week in, in Jordan Richards and Duke Riley. But uh, we've seen them already cut back on, on Duke Riley's reps and Jordan Jordan Richards has some competition now too at safety. So I, I think that's part of the reason why they they were able to improve, especially last week. Uh, but yeah, those injuries have crushed them. And, you know, we all know how good Grady Jarrett is. He's one of the best uh, defensive tackle in the league, Tack McKinley's ascending. So those are guys that they need to have in the field for them to really have any chance of stopping anyone right now. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Browns offense had a good game just because the Falcons defense has been so bad this season. Uh, but it, it is a little interesting that they were able to step up last week and hold Washington to 14 uh, on the road. And, you know, not that Washington is on the level of the Chiefs and the Saints and the Rams or anything like that, but they're a capable offense and capable offense that have absolutely a shred Atlanta this year. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I especially I noticed as you said as they're adjusting early in the season. Two two people I want to touch on specifically defensively. Vic Beasley, what's uh, he's grading poorly. I've seen some clips on Twitter every now and again. What's uh what's what's sort of speaking to this down year for him? I don't know. I <laughs> he he just I don't I don't really think it's more complicated than he's just not playing well right now. And I mean, he's not even playing average football like the thing with Vic is if he doesn't win on his speed rush off the bat, then he just kind of gives up on the play or he'll do a little half-assed bull rush. And if he, if he doesn't get home that way, which he almost never does because he's, you know, 240 pounds soaking wet, then he, he can't get he, – like he's just not going to run over a 320-pound person that's, that's playing in front of him. And he'll just give up on that play too. So he, he's just really a guy who, who – <laughs> Like it's harsh to say, but he really offers nothing 
as a as a player right now, it almost feels like to go out there with ten guys instead of eleven sometimes because <laughs> he's just playing patty cake on the edge or missing tackles in the open field. Like it, it's just kind of crazy to see uh, a guy regress so much because even in his twenty sixteen season, it was probably a little overrated because he did lead the league in sacks, but it's not like he was getting pressure a lot. Of, he it's not like he was he was getting pressure on a lot of snaps. He was converting like almost half of his pressures into sacks or it was maybe like 40% of them, something crazy like that. And, you know, you're, you're, you're fine with that production as a, as a fan. And, uh, you know, even as a coach who is invested in his development, but he's just gotten worse over the past two years. And it's not even like he's, he's getting the same amount of pressures, but they're not getting the sacks. He's just not really doing much of anything out there on the field. And it's just, it's just kind of bizarre to watch him because usually you see guys take that next step after they have a big year like 2016, but he's just totally regressed. Like he's even worse than now than he was as a rookie, which is kind of strange to say. Yeah, it is a bit bizarre. That'll be a matchup to pay attention to. Cleveland obviously struggling at the tackle positions, leaving up close to the league's lead and pressures and sacks allowed. And some of that ties into a young quarterback holding the ball a bit too long occasionally. But they started Greg Robinson at tackle last week, if you know anything about Mm -hmm. uh, Greg Robinson. He was one of the league's worst tackles the year before. And somehow Greg Robinson was an upgrade over the rookie Desmond Harrison. They've been playing at left tackle. So that will be a dynamic that's interesting to pay attention to. As you mentioned, Tack McKinley is another one who's, uh, uh, you know, all the potential in the world, had a pretty solid rookie season. Looks like he's sort of, um, you know, maybe hitting that mediocre sort of sophomore-ish year. We'll see. I mean, that's just going to be a battle that if Atlanta wins that battle at the, you know, outside – outside the edge of the tackle box there, it's going to be one that pushes the game in their favor. But the last guy I want to kind of talk about is, you you know, this plethora of injuries that have happened. DeMonte, and I think I'm saying it right, DeMonte Kazee, um, you know, playing really good football, only 25. Kind of touch on what he's doing at safety. He's, he's, he's probably from the most consistent amount of snaps of the year. He's, he's grading out in an 81.6. You know, is he developing into a long-term potential player here in Atlanta? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, he's been fantastic. And really – I think that it kind of speaks to how well the Falcons have drafted since Dan Quinn got here, especially like on day three, they've got impact players now with guys like Grady Jarrett, Devondre Campbell, uh, Devonta KZ, Wes Schweitzer, who, who's played some decent football for them on the offensive line. Like those are all guys that were drafted on day three. And it, it's just kind of cool to see a team hit on those guys and have those guys develop. And what, what's uh, real cool about KZ is that he was a cornerback in college and he almost primarily played right cornerback and was really uh and in san diego state system they really only played cover four for the most part uh so to see him kind of transition into a center field cover three type of free safety and be like a legitimate impact player is kind of shocking to see it happen so fast but he, he's definitely a long-term keeper for them, and I think he leads. He's tired for the league league in interceptions right now. Yeah. Uh, he, he's just one of those guys that, you know, it's a football cliche, but he has a nose for the ball. And I think one of the one of the the coolest plays that he had was last week against the Giants. There was a play where uh, Saquon Barkley had the ball in the open field behind the line of scrimmage, and KZ wasn't even on the field, but you just kind of see this black little blur fly down the field in between a couple of Falcons defenders and he just knocks Barkley the hell out. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just fun to see uh, a guy that comes in, I guess that body play with that, you know, level of intensity and passion. But 
uh, he, he's definitely a great player for them. And I think he's playing a lot better than Falcons fans expected. Yeah, no doubt. When, I, when I've cut on Falcons tape every now and again this year, uh, studying different opponents, he's, he's been one that pops. So I wanted to make sure I asked you about him. So I've taken enough of your time, Charles, man. If you guys want to follow him, some of the best work in the NFL, different angles, uh, get you a look at football from a different perspective. He's just at 4Verts on, uh, on, on, on Twitter. It's an easy find, a great follow, one of the better follows when I jumped into sort of the football Twitter aspect just a little over a year ago. So find him there. Obviously find his work at SB Nation, you know, a, a young up-and-comer in the, in the, in the football uh, media game. So, Charles, man, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So as we bring Episode 2 to a close, I like to do a Twitter call-out here for people that ask questions week to week. Uh, I try to get to them as often as I can, so let's answer a few. At John Cahill uh, underscore IRL asks, does David Njoku get called out unfairly for missing blocks? Could Fells DeVal be utilized better in this area and increase Njoku's role in the pass-catching aspect? Yes. The, the short answer is yes. I think that uh, David Njoku has a tendency to get um, his mistakes – happen at the most inopportune times and they're they're highlighted on TV and that that sort of leads to an unfair narrative that gets spun around him. I wrote a little bit for cleveland.com about how the Browns can best use him and in best using the Najoku, I think that it's important that you you keep him out of pass blocking as often as you can. He's one of your better playmaking tight end threats in the NFL, and I think they need to use him accordingly as often as they can in the passing game. They can chip, release, do those sorts of things. I think that's where he's best used. Keeping him into pass is not only a disadvantage to Najoku, but it's not going to help your offense either. So, if yes, Fells to Valve could be used a little bit more in that area. Uh, next question comes from uh, Felix Tubman. Uh, what is the biggest reason for the lack of big plays from Jarvis Landry? Is he just simply a possession receiver, or is it something the defense is doing? I think that it is It is certainly a mixture of the two. I don't think if you if you study Jarvis Landry, you know how, how explosive he is based on his statistics. You'll come to find out that uh, he's not the fastest guy in the world. Very good in short lateral quickness, putting his foot in the ground, making a cut, making a guy miss, but he is not going to run away from anybody. That is not what makes him special. So it's 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 a mixture. I do think Landry is a possession guy. He has some of the better uh, abilities to go down, uh, find a way to get footballs, make big catches, those tough catches. He's he's really good at that, but he is certainly not a true number one wide receiver. Yeah, they paid him like a true number one wide receiver, but he's not necessarily that. I think the market value changes in Cleveland. They signed a guy who's a leader. They signed a guy who can make tough catches when it matters, and that's important, but they do need somebody who is a big play separation guy to help Baker Mayfield in the future, and I think that that will go really well with Jarvis Landry's skill set. Next question comes from Fizu60 at F-E-Z-U-60. Is it our D-line depth really that bad? Or why are there four main guys playing nearly all the snaps? I don't think it is necessarily that bad. I just don't feel that Greg Williams is giving them the opportunity to play as much as they should. The Browns D-line is playing more uh, reps than just about anybody in the league for the most part. And that comes down to four overtime games a little bit. But they are on the field a lot. They have the likes of uh, Carl Davis, Zettel, um, you know, uh, there are players, Chris Smith, that could that could come in and play a little bit more, but I, apparently they're just not going to do it this year. I'm not entirely sure why. If Greg Williams wants his best tape for his next job to be on 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 film, as he as he shows what the defense can do under his direction, I don't have a great answer for that. But they should be playing those backups more. They did it in the past. I'm not entirely sure why they're not doing it this year, but it's a problem, and they certainly need to rectify that problem. Or they are going to see some of our main players, Larry Ogunjobi, Emmanuel Ogba, Miles Garrett, are going to go down hurt um, you know just fatigue injuries later in the year last question comes from drew which is at rather be golfing me too he asked based on last week 
Is that the offensive ceiling based on the current talent on that side of the football? Fair question, and probably yes is the answer to that. If they can put up 21, three three touchdowns a game, limit turnovers. Obviously, the Browns had one turnover there. They could have gotten to 28 points. If they can get to 28 points, that's probably the ceiling. You could see a fluke game here or there. It does appear that Freddie Kitchens is providing a different angle on playmakers getting the football and making Baker, Baker Mayfield comfortable. Those things matter. I think that they're going to be okay. They're never going to be a team that is elite. Too many young players playing consistently in tough positions that they're not accustomed to playing. So, yeah, that, that 21 to, to 24 point area is probably going to be the ceiling. The defense gets healthy, they'll have a chance to stay in and, and compete in football games. I'll leave you guys with this. If you have not had a chance to check out Robert Klimko's piece on the Browns' dysfunction, uh, Hugh Jackson paranoid final final days in Cleveland, take the time to do so. It's going to paint a pretty clear picture of what happened under the final Hugh Jackson days, what's going to happen going forward with GM John Dorsey and, and owner Jimmy Haslam and the and the coaching search that will commence over the next eight weeks or so heading into the offseason. But there's a couple quotes I want to draw your attention to uh, regarding Mayfield and, and feeling positive about Mayfield going forward. Um, and this is, quote, Baker's a dog, said Brown's defensive lineman, Devereaux Lawrence, issuing one of the highest compliments you can earn in an NFL locker room. There are certain things you can't teach dogs. There's a whole bunch of savages in here, but we got one in quarterback. He looked at him and told him, yeah, mother, blank. Everyone could read those lips. Interesting quote from Lawrence. I think it speaks to Mayfield's competitive nature. And when you show that fire on that, that long scramble and the hit that he took, those are the things that players respect. If your quarterback's willing to take hits for your for your offense in order to get plays made, that, that speaks volumes and it just gains respect over time. And then Joel Batonio, who's one of the more respected veterans now in the Browns locker room, also gave an interesting quote. When you see your quarterback going to battle like that, ready to chirp, you want to get in there and help him out said having that guy lead your team is something special. And then Klimko closed the article by giving this quote by uh, Joel Batonio once again. We talk about it all the time, that this is the year. But you really feel that with a guy like Baker, we have something special we can build around, Batonio says. In this division, our fans have had to watch Ben Roethlisberger and Andy Dalton and Joe Flacco come in here every year. Good, consistent quarterbacks. Well, now we've got our guy. Time to protect him and time to let him lead. So, you know, is a Browns fan, supporter, uh, you, you really can't feel better about that kind of quote about your quarterback. Yeah, Mayfield's had some ups and downs, but they feel good about him inside that locker room as a leader, as the guy to take them in the next step forward as a franchise. And that leads you to feel some hope that you haven't felt around here in quite some time. So good vibes, good feeling going into week nine against the Falcons. And I want to thank SB Nation's Charles McDonald for jumping on and giving us a preview of the Falcons. He's one of the best. Follow him at Ford Verts. Reminder, guys, subscribe to the Browns Film Breakdown iTunes. Give us a review. Always appreciate that. And then jump on and, and, and check out my book if you can. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE for that 50% deposit match. We'll catch you guys next week. Go Browns.